seemed, for me, it seemed like an eternity. Um, as Elder <coughs> Sam shared, uh, I did uh, catch a cold uh, last week, and so half the trip is kind of a blur. And so uh, not only am I recovering, but uh, I have extreme jet lag. It's 1.30 a.m. internally for me. So um, as I'm preaching, please be praying for me <laughs> that the Lord would sustain me. And, um, you know, being gone two weeks um, in, in, in that part of the world, uh, there was a lot of suffering uh, and yeah, the greatest suffering was uh, I lost my charger the first day. So for two weeks, I didn't have a charger, um, which meant I really I couldn't even email uh, as, as frequently updating everyone as I wanted to. But uh, so I think I managed to get one email out. So um, thank you for your prayers. And uh, I'm really excited to, to be able to share personally and then hopefully uh, in a more official way um, some of the ways in which the Lord uh, showed uh, showed me how he's working in Southeast Asia, and I'd love to share that with you. Uh, we're going to still be on a break. Um, I know last week, uh, Pastor Dan Liu came, and uh, just to clear up the air, Pastor Dan Liu is not Korean. He's Chinese. I think there's some confusion over that. Um, I got to hear the sermon. I was uh, wonderfully blessed uh, in hearing about um, wisdom and how in Christ we have a proper fear of the Lord. Um, now, being back, before we get back to our series in Revelation, I wanted to uh, preach a little bit on missions while it's still on my heart, while it's still uh, fresh and uh, um, excited, excited about it. So um, please turn with me to Luke chapter 9, and we're going to be reading the first six verses of Luke 9 and then uh, 12 verse, the first 12 verses of chapter 10. Um, so it's here on the PowerPoint, it's also in your sermon insert. So please hear now the reading of God's holy word. And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there and from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Chapter 10. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into his streets and say, Even the dust of your town that clings to our feet we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that we can worship you, 
We know that in other parts of the world, uh, there is much persecution. Uh, there is uh, policing. Uh, there are so many obstacles that uh, prevent people from freely coming together like we are able to and worship you, to sing songs at the top of our lungs that in Christ we are more than conquerors, that you have loved us so much that you sent your son to hang upon a tree for us, and, and, and we get to hear your word preached, and, and I, the preacher, get to share it freely, and we, your people, get to hear your word and, and be built up. And So God, in this hour, I pray that we would really enjoy our time in your presence and in your word. Give to me strength that goes beyond um, the physical, um, but do keep me alert so that I may preach and encourage this body so that we would know your word and your will for us. And in turn, Lord, uh, we will be a people humble, not only to receive, uh, but humble to obey all that you've revealed. In Jesus' name we pray. Well, of course, the past two weeks, I had this great opportunity to be in Southeast Asia, and uh, I'm super thankful for uh, all your prayers, for the elders, for letting me go, and uh, today I won't be speaking necessarily on that. Uh, that'll be saved for a later time to give a, a more formal presentation, but I did want to, to share with you uh, something, a conviction that was deeply reinforced during this trip, and, that, and that's simply this. God's mission is a global mission. Yes, God's mission takes place in our cities and in our communities, but it extends to the ends of the earth. So God has as, as his goal the whole world. God has as his reach all of the nations. And the question we need to ask is this. If that is what God is intending to do, how does he plan on doing that? And the answer is through the ministry of the local church. God accomplishes his global mission through his local church. Now, the question I have for you is this. Do you understand why the church exists? You know, every institution, every organization needs to answer this question because if you don't have an answer, sooner or later, you will become aimless and powerless and purposeless. So as we think about that, this question, why does the church exist, we have attempted an answer in our own vision statement. I don't know how many times I've stood up here in front of you and, and said it, and how many times you've read it in front of your bulletins and out here on the stand, or out here on the, on the banners. But we've attempted to answer this question in our vision statement. Cornerstone exists to glorify God by making gospel-centered disciples who will bring the hope and renewal of Jesus Christ to greater Philadelphia and the world. Now, that last phrase of the vision statement, and the world, is not added as an afterthought, but it's intentionally placed there in that last phrase. So in one sense, and the world is really the culmination of our vision. We want to see the hope of Jesus reaching the ends of the earth. We want the renewal of Christ to be made known among all of the nations. And we've also tried to answer that question with our core values, the fifth one being global missions. Now, the fact that global missions is last on the list is not a sign that it is least significant, but it's actually positional. The direction of the gospel organically leads us 
to global mission. So we start with gospel centrality. The gospel comes into our hearts, and then it becomes disciple-making. We are inwardly renewed. We are formed into disciples of Jesus. And what that does is the gospel continues to fill each one of us is that it fosters genuine and authentic community within the church. And as the gospel grips our community, what it does is it extends to our local communities and it begins showing itself tangibly in mercy and justice. And then as it continues to spread out, it fuels and it sends people out across cultures and across continents in global mission. Believers must not only be convinced, but deeply convicted that global missions is not just an interest, and it's not just a fad that certain people are passionate about. Global missions is the heartbeat of the church. And so I want us as the congregation of Christ to receive the vision of global mission, not just because I, the pastor, am passionate about it, but because as we read the Bible, we're more and more convinced as we are sensing this is the heart of God. Gospel centrality organically leads us to global mission. This is why Jesus hasn't come back sooner. This is why Jesus commissions his church. This is why he gives to us in abundance his Holy Spirit. Until we understand this collectively as the people of God, not just as a few leaders and not just as uh, certain mission committee members, (coughs) excuse me, but as we understand this as the body of believers, if we don't understand this, (coughs) excuse me, Uh, We will be no different than children who play house. I'm going to grab my water here. (coughs) Excuse me. (coughs) You see, (coughs) I told you I was sick. (coughs) Be be praying for me. (coughs) Excuse me. Have you ever seen children play house? Little children playing house together when they get together. Maybe some of your kids are too old for that, but when they were younger, the girls will say, oh, I'm the mom. The boys say, oh, I'm the dad. Then the other ones say, well, I'm the kids. And then you have the unfortunate kid who's like the house pet. (laughs) I'm the dog. And you don't want that to be your kid. But these kids, they get together and they play house. But no matter how well they act and how... Uh, responsibly, they take on their roles. They're not a real family, right? Because as soon as playtime is over, all that fantasy disintegrates. In the same way, <coughs> if we as a church don't understand why we exist, we don't have a vision, we're really just adults playing church. Now, the stakes are higher. Um, the titles are greater. The responsibilities are more. We're dealing with real money, not play money. But if we don't have a vision, then we're really just adults playing church. But the calling for us is not to play church, but to be the church. And in order to be the church, we need to understand why we are here, why God has commissioned us. And so in Luke 9 and 10, um, I'd like to highlight this gospel truth as we look at this passage. God's local church is used to carry out God's global mission. It's a very simple gospel truth, but I pray it begins to make sense as we adopt it and receive it. God's local church is used to carry out God's global missions. 
Now, I want to talk about this in four headings. And the first heading is this, the resources given. Now, look with me at chapter 9, verse 1. It says, And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. Now, when Jesus sends out the twelve disciples, notice the two things he gives them. He gives them power and he gives them authority. Now, these two things are very important. You see, this is Luke chapter 9, verse 1. But if you look right before in chapter 8, verses 22 to 25, we see that Jesus demonstrates this great and unique power as the Son of God when he rebukes the storms and he calms them. He displays his power as the Son of God. Then right after that, we have this, another incident in verses 26 to 39, where Jesus then displays his great and unique authority as the Son of God when he rebukes and he casts out the demon called Legion into a herd of pigs. So he shows his power and his authority. And this culminates in a final miracle in verses 40 to 56 when he heals a woman who's been bleeding for 12 years and he raises a little girl, a 12-year-old girl, back to life. And so his power and his authority are displayed over disease and death. Jesus does his ministry and his miracles with power and authority. So it's very interesting when we get to verse 1 that we see when Jesus calls his 12 disciples together, right before he's about to send them out to mission, what does he give them? Power and authority. Jesus gives to his disciples the same exact resources that he had so they can do his mission. Now, why do I bring this up? Because imagine how encouraging that is to receive the exact same resources Jesus had that he did in his mission. Now, let me illustrate in this way. Growing up in college, I had a mentor who uh, taught great, great Bible studies. In fact, he's one of the reasons why I wanted to become a Bible teacher and a pastor. And he would lead us through passages and open our eyes and I would be hungry for the word and and love the Lord. And when I decided that I wanted to go to seminary uh, to be a Bible teacher, I remember uh, he gave me this very treasured gift. Now, I didn't bring it with me because it's kind of thick, but he gave to me a Zondervan Bible concordance. Now, if you know what a concordance is, a concordance is a, a book that lists every single reference for every single word in the Bible. Uh, even the word the, it lists every time the word the occurs. And why was this so, so significant? Because I remember when he gave me the Bible, he, told, he said this to me. He said, Andrew, I've used this resource every time I've taught and led Bible study. And so as um, I give this to you, I want you also to become a great Bible study teacher. And I remember being so encouraged by that because the tools and the resources he was using that made him such an effective teacher, he was giving to me so that now I could become at least a decent teacher. Uh, Later, I found out that the concordance, uh, you can just find it all online. So the book was actually unnecessary. But the encouragement I received, man, I would never be as good as him. And then he gives me the book. This is what I've used. Now, in the same way, Jesus Christ, he is raising the dead. He is healing sick people. And he goes to his disciple and he says, I'm going to send you out on missions. But as I do, I'm going to give you my power and my authority. And that power and authority that Christ gave to his disciples, he gave to the early church and he gives to us. He gives to us, the church in the 21st century. Except now the power and authority is found in the indwelling Holy Spirit and in the word of God. 
that we as God's people are given these better gifts, the Spirit in us and the Word of God. And he gives it to us, the church, so that we can fulfill a mission. Now, what is that mission? Well, that's our second point, the mission explained. Look with me at chapter, two, verse, or chapter 9, verse 2. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And then look with me at Luke chapter 10, verse 9. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. There are two specific commands. The first command is to proclaim the kingdom of God, and the second command is to heal the sick. So let's take that in order. The first task, listen, the first task of mission is to proclaim the kingdom. The kingdom of God is present and is at hand. It's in our midst because King Jesus has come. Now, the kingdom of God doesn't refer to a piece of land. It's not a physical kingdom. There are no castles. There are no jesters. There are no trumpets. There are no moats. The kingdom of God, simply put, is this. God's rule and God's reign over God's people. What is the kingdom of God? God's rule and God's reign over God's people. So the kingdom is not a physical reality, but a spiritual reality. It's the dominion and rule of God realized in the lives of believers. That as people begin to forsake their allegiance to Satan and to the kingdom of darkness, and they pledge themselves to Jesus Christ and his lordship, the kingdom of God is being spread. So Jesus tells the disciples, proclaim the kingdom. But then you look in Luke chapter 9, verse 6, and this is what it says. And they departed and went through the villages preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. So Jesus said, proclaim the kingdom, verse 2. The disciples' response, they preached the gospel, verse 6. The question is, were they willfully ignoring Jesus? Were they preaching something different? Jesus tells them to proclaim the kingdom. Why are they preaching the gospel? Well, because it's the same thing. They proclaim the kingdom by preaching the gospel. This is not contradictory. It's the same thing because what is the gospel? The gospel is the good news that the king has come and he has set the prisoners free. He set them free from the shackles and enslavement in Satan's kingdom. And he has brought them into the kingdom of the beloved son through his death and resurrection. And this transfer of allegiance from the kingdom of Satan to the kingdom of the beloved son happens through the king's death and resurrection for sinners. So Jesus says that his mission, the mission he commissions to the church, is that this gospel message would be proclaimed. Now, I've shared this before, but despite popular belief, you cannot preach the gospel and use words when necessary. Words are always necessary. Which means this, if you want the gospel to go out, if you want Christ's mission to be fulfilled, we must do all we can for proclamation to be made known to the nations. You know, Paul writes in Romans 10, verses 14 and following, a very famous portion of scripture. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? You see, what Paul says here is the same thing as what Jesus says. The gospel must be preached in order for it to be heard, in order for it to be believed, in order for sinners to be saved. So if we, the church, are to participate in Christ's mission, 
then we must fulfill as believers and as a church one of two roles. Either we are the ones being sent or we are the ones sending. If, the, if Christ's mission is the gospel go out and the gospel goes out as it's proclaimed, then we have one of two roles to play. We are either sending people out or we are the ones being sent out. If you are not going and you're not preparing to go, which as far as I know, everyone isn't, then we must be sending and we must be praying and we must be supporting and we must be partnering. You know, John Piper once said that there are three responses to the Great Commission. There are those who are sending, there are those who are going, and there are those who are disobedient. Proclamation of the kingdom of God by the people of God is central to the mission of God. We as a church need to find our role in the sending or the going. So that's the first part. The second part we see in the mission is that Jesus commands his disciples not only to proclaim the gospel, but to heal, to heal. If proclaiming the kingdom addresses the spiritual needs of people, then healing addresses the physical needs of people. You see, the church doesn't exist in an either-or, but a both-and. When Jesus healed, do you know that when Jesus healed, that it really wasn't supernatural? Now, before you think I'm a heretic and say, wait a minute, what I mean is this. When Jesus healed, he wasn't doing something supernatural above nature. When Jesus healed, do you know actually what he was doing? He was restoring the natural. He was restoring that which was always supposed to be. So when he healed blind eyes, all he was doing was restoring sight. When he healed the paralyzed, all he was doing was restoring walking. When he raised the dead, he was restoring life. When Jesus and his disciples healed... It was the physical manifestation, the physical display of the kingdom that they were proclaiming. The healing was a foretaste of what the kingdom of God would bring. It was a sample. It was an appetizer. We all know how powerfully appetizers and samples work. Just go to Costco or Sam's Club on a Saturday. You see flocks of people. Why do they think it's worth the investment to set up those little shops and give you little Tyson's chicken wings and pulled pork? Because they know that if you taste a sample of it, you will crave more. What was the healing? The healing was just a sample of what the kingdom of God looks like. Ministering to the physical needs of the people was a sample of the final consummated kingdom of God when all things will one day be restored in heavenly glory. Because it's only in the new heavens, it's only in the new earth where all of sins and its effects are going to be reversed, where every wrong will be made right, where every illness will be healed. And that's why in Revelation 21, the great vision of the final day is a place without tears and without mourning and without pain and without crying. Because that will be the kingdom of God. And so the message of God's mercy and his justice proclaimed in the gospel is tangibly shown through physical acts of mercy and justice. You see, the gospel is primarily about spiritual salvation, 
but it cannot be divorced from the hope of physical restoration because people are body and spirit. We are psychosomatic unities. All the great hope of the kingdom of God, spiritually, is sensed and seen and palpably touched and felt through physical acts of mercy and deeds. So in Christian history, word and deed has never been separated. 1 John chapter 3.18, Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. James, the brother of John, writes in James 1.27, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. You see, what is the mission that Jesus describes? It is a gospel show and tell. To show it in deed and to tell it in word. And so as a local church, as we engage on this mission as Christ is explaining it, well, we're not going around necessarily healing people and casting out demons. We may not be ones who go out onto the different countries and proclaim the gospel and the kingdom, but as a local church, then, that means part of our mission is to send people, support projects, send missionaries, show mercy, declare the kingdom, display the kingdom, proclaim the gospel, show the gospel. So the work of missions in the church takes on this twofold aim. But what else is the church supposed to do? And that leads to this third point, the place of the church. What place does a local church have in God's global missions? Now, if you look at Luke chapter 9, verse 1, Jesus sends out 12 disciples. Now, if you ask the question, why 12, I'll say, well, it's pretty obvious. Well, because they're his 12 disciples. But then Jesus in chapter 10, verse 1, sends out 72. And the question is, why does he send 72 out? Well, I need to do a bit of uh, groundwork to get us to understand this. So um, track with me. In Genesis chapter 6 to 9, you have the flood account, Noah's flood. After the flood account, everybody on the face of the earth except Noah and his family is wiped away. The earth is totally wiped out. And so the natural question is this. How will the earth be repopulated? How do you go from the eight people at the time of Noah's flood to over seven billion people now? And the answer is actually found in Genesis 10. Because Genesis 10 gives us a detailed genealogy of how God refilled and repopulated the earth. And so Genesis 10 begins like this. These are the generations of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Sons were born to them after the flood. And before your eyes glaze over as you get to the list of names, you have to understand that that is a very significant chapter. Because it's through Genesis 10 and all the list of names that it's explained this long process of how the different family clans migrated out and began to fill all the different regions of the world and repopulate the earth. And so Genesis 10 is known as the table of nations. It's known as the table of nations because each of the names listed there represents a different nation of the world as Noah's descendants spread across the face of the earth. And in the Greek translation of the Old Testament called the Septuagint, guess how many names are listed in the table of nations? 72. 
And this is not a coincidence. As Jesus sends out 72 individuals to proclaim the gospel, what is symbolically happening is that the gospel is going out to reach the world. Each one of the 72 disciples represents each one of the 72 nations on the earth. So Jesus sending 72 out is Jesus reaching the earth with his gospel. And as the gospel went out, it went out indeed, because Luke follows up in this first volume with his second volume, the book of Acts. And in Acts, we're told all of the stories of how this gospel went out from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And the book of Acts ends with chapter 28. But do you know that there are so many more chapters that could be filled with the work of the gospel going out into the world? You see, Acts chapter 1 to 28 is filled with the Gospels advanced during the time of the apostles, but Acts chapter 29 until now is filled with stories of how even now the Gospel left the Middle East and it went into Europe. And in Europe, it crossed over the Atlantic and it went into North America. And in, from North America, it went into East Asia. And out of East Asia, Korea being one of the top five uh, most missionary-sending countries. The gospel has gone out. It's gone out to Africa. It's gone out to South America. It's booming in Southeast Asia. And I got the great privilege of witnessing the work God is doing in Myanmar and in Vietnam and Thailand and Cambodia. And I'll tell you this, friends, there is no border that can keep the gospel out. There's no immigration officer who will refuse to stamp the passport of the gospel. It will enter into every country. No government can keep it out. No policing can stop its spread. And so Jesus Christ is continuing through the local church of sending his gospel out to the nations. And the question becomes, well, look at us. Look around. There's less than 50 of us here. What can we, Cornerstone, tucked away in this little suburb of Pennsylvania, thousands of miles away, what can we do? What difference can we make? What dents can we make in this gigantic global mission enterprise? What is our place? And the answer is found in chapter 10, verse 2, where Jesus says, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Jesus is using this imagery of harvest and crop, saying that the mission field is like a place that is ripe and ready for missionary effort. The problem is not that the harvest isn't ready. God is the Lord of the harvest. God will always provide the fruit. The problem, it seems, is that there are not enough laborers. There are not enough hands and not enough feet to go out and to pluck and to pick up the crop that God has readied. Actually, that's a great dilemma to have, that God has readied the crop. He has readied the harvest. There are just not enough people. But listen and pay close attention to what Jesus says. He doesn't say this. He doesn't say, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So get going. Hurry up. What are you waiting for? Take a look. That's not what he says. Rather, what he says is this. The harvest is plentiful. Not enough people are out in the field. So pray earnestly. After God tells you the situation on the mission field, he doesn't say, so what are you doing living your comfortable lives, living in nice houses with nice jobs here in the suburbs? He doesn't say that. He says, the harvest is plentiful. There's an issue. There's a problem. So here's what I want you to do. Pray earnestly. 
Every local church participates in the global mission of God by praying that laborers be raised up for the harvest. Praying is not passive in God's eyes. Prayer is participation in his work. Prayer is not doing nothing. Prayer is doing everything that Jesus has commanded us to here. It's the task of the church that we would pray for God to raise up and send more out. It's the task of the church to pray that more and more would hear the call to go. It's the task of the church to pray that those who have heard the call now are able to fundraise and raise support as they need in order to go. It's the task of the church that we pray for ourselves and each other to have greater vision and greater conviction and a greater weight in our heart that's burdened with the gospel going out. What is the place of the church, the local church and global mission? Pray earnestly. And so again, we see these two roles that God's people play in missions. There are those that pray God would send, and then there are those who have prayed and are sent. This challenges our church at every single level. How are we praying? It challenges us, the elders. How are we praying for our members? Not just praying for more faithfulness and attendance and giving, but more faithfulness in the Great Commission and for the people of God to live out God's calling. It challenges the way you as members pray for the church, that you're praying that God would send people away in our congregation, away on missions. You're not just praying God send that annoying person out on missions. No, no, no. You're praying that God would send the very best. That God would make our place, our church, a place where people are sent. And this challenges you parents, how you pray for your children. Because all of us want to pray for safety and success and health and happiness for our kids. But are you or have you ever prayed that your kid would be so bold or so full of courage that if they heard the call of God that they would be obedient and sacrificial and go? How are you praying for your children? So we're challenged in this way. Will our prayers be changed and challenged by this passage? Will we pray earnestly for the Lord of the harvest to send some out from our midst? A few, a few years ago, I was, at a, I was at a Presbytery meeting, and this one pastor who served in New Jersey pulled out an old picture on his cell phone of his youth group, and he was, he was boasting because as he showed it, he pointed one student out, and I immediately recognized who that student was. She is now a Korean K-pop star named Ailey, and some of you may know who she is. She's a singer. Um, and what I actually found out is that Helen, Pastor Tim's wife, actually was part of that same youth group. And so he was going around showing off. Ailey was once part of my youth group. And I was like, dude, that was 15 years ago. <laughs> Get over it. But I was thinking, you know, how amazing it would be if one Presbyterian meeting I could pull out a picture and show somebody in this. And, well, I don't know who that is. Well, you don't. But the Lord does. This is somebody from our congregation whom God has called and we prayed for, and we blessed, and we commissioned, and we sent them out. I mean, that is, the, that is the vision that I long and hope for. 
that one day you can, I can say, this is a missionary cornerstone support, but not support as in they came to us saying we need money, but support as in we grew that person, we prayed for that person, we encouraged that person, we blessed them, and we sent them out. You know, I challenged uh, the church I was at previously with a similar kind of challenge. I said, what? I said, can we just pray for one? Can we just pray for one to go out? And let me tell you this. I just came back from Cambodia, and that one that we had prayed for, I met him in Cambodia. God has sent him out. Now, before I preached that sermon, I thought, oh, man, this is not actually going to work. But God has told us to pray earnestly. And in prayer, he is out there. So now when I challenge us and I say, will we begin praying for our own congregation that God would send one? Hope you all get afraid. (laughs) We don't know which one. Maybe any one of you. But let us begin to pray, God, would you at least send one from our midst? You know, MTW right now is having this challenge. They say, will you you tithe your money? Will you tithe 1% of your congregation? Tithe 1% of your congregation. They say right now there are about 290,000 members in the PCA church and that if, uh, that if we tithe, every church tithe 1% of members, we'd send 2,900 missionaries in one year. And I looked at my friends and I said, I said, if Cornerstone tithe 1%, we would send half a person. <laughs> so we'll tithe 2% and send one person. Will we pray for that? Secondly, the church should also pray for missionaries that we currently have on the field. Look at chapter 10, verse 3. Go your way. Behold. He's speaking to the missionaries he's sending out. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. The missionaries that we are supporting, they are lambs out there in the midst of wolves, in the midst of unknown people starting new with relationships, having a hard time adjusting to the culture and speaking the language. Theirs is not an enviable position. It's one that is dangerous and and one where they will be met with persecution and rejection. Actually, in chapter 9, verse 5, Jesus basically tells them not to expect to be recognized and not to to expect to be welcomed and well-received. There's great discouragement for the missionaries. You know, sometimes here we wrestle with the accuser. He whispers in our ears little accusations. You know, out in the mission field, the accuser is shouting in the face of those who are behind enemy lines. So are we praying for our missionaries, praying for their strength in the midst of the front lines of the battle of kingdom advancement? Are we praying that laborers would join them, that there would be gospel partnerships forming, that church planning efforts will be happening, that seeds are planted in hearts, that strongholds are being knocked down? Are we praying for their perseverance Are we praying for their faithfulness? Are we praying for their families? Are we praying for their loneliness? Are we praying for their depression? Are we praying for their language help? Are we praying for their visa situations? Are we praying for gospel opportunities? You know, here at Cornerstone, we have a great opportunity to pray for four missionaries. We could pray for Oksun in Germany. We can pray for Sung and Amy in Bangladesh. We could pray for Grace in Bulgaria. And do you know that these missionaries we support, that they rely on our prayers and our partnerships? I'm thankful for Kelly, who does a great job of of sending out the electronic correspondences of these missionaries. 
And if you've received them, you'll know that Sung and Amy a couple weeks ago asked us praying that they would receive visas. And praise the Lord, we just got an email back last week saying that we have a five-year visa. Because churches are partnering and praying with these missionaries. And so as the missionaries we support, as they are pressing on ahead, we push them from behind with prayer efforts. And that is a great place and a powerful way for our local church to fit into God's global mission. You know, David Platt writes in his book, Radical, he says, We are the plan of God. There is no plan B. We are the plan of God. There is no plan B. God clearly has decided to use the church and only the church as the means by which his gospel will go to the ends of the earth. And so as our church becomes mission-minded and prayer-focused, God will use Cornerstones and its members either as people sent or people sending. But we cannot end here because unless our hearts are fundamentally changed, missions will always seem like an extracurricular, something that we only do if we have the time or the money or the people. And it's easy to make excuses sometimes that, We don't have the manpower. We don't have the time. Well, listen, friends, it's not an option. And we have a great motivation, which leads to our last point, the motivation behind it all. You see, missions cannot be a mere addendum or a sideline thought to us because it wasn't for God. Before God commissioned the church, before he sent out the 72, before he sent out the 12, he sent one. He sent his one and only son, And when Jesus came to this earth, he didn't come proclaiming the good news. He came as the good news. He came as the king of the kingdom, ready to lay down his life for you and me so that we could go from being an enemy of God to being welcomed into his presence. You see, when Jesus came to this earth, he came on missions. We are the recipients of God's mission work in Jesus Christ. You see in chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus says to the 72, he says, but whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe against you. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Jesus is saying, if you go and you're not received, judge them. Judgment will fall upon them. But do you know that when Jesus came, he was rejected by those whom he came to save. And instead of pronouncing judgment over them as he rightfully could, he received the judgment of those who rejected him by dying on a cross. And on Golgotha, he received a judgment that was much more terrifying than that of Sodom and Gomorrah. He received the punishment reserved for us as as traitors and rebels whose allegiance was far from him, And yet he received our judgment so that we could be received and welcomed in. See, God does not command us to do anything that he himself did not do first. He sent to us his son. He sent to us his very best. As verse 3 says, before Jesus sent the 72, he came into this world as a lamb in the midst of wolves. And he was slaughtered by them for our sake. As it says in verse 4, he came into this world carrying no money bag 
no knapsack and wearing no sandals. And he died just as naked and alone without anything to his name for our sake. And he did this in missionary sacrifice for you and me so that we could have life full both here and in heaven. And when that gospel enters your heart and it opens up your eyes, when you're open to this reality, your heart is transformed by this truth, it becomes a powerful motivation. You see, when you understand the gospel, it doesn't add mission to your list of priorities. It takes your priorities and orients it toward mission. Let me say that again. If you understand the gospel, it doesn't add mission to your list of priorities. It reorients all of your priorities toward mission. Friends, mission shouldn't become our thing, Cornerstone's thing. It's not something we want to focus on. No. Missions is the task we've been given. Missions is the purpose for which we've been commissioned. Mission is the heart of God. So I want to end with just this very practical encouragement. I have a slide up here. I've shown this before. This November, from Friday the 10th to Sunday the 12th, Mission to the World is having their triennial mission conference. Not triannual, triennial, meaning it's once every three years called the Global Mission Conference. Now, would you seriously consider attending and learning more about missions as we've considered now its place in the centrality of the local church. It is my personal desire. I'd love for us to send at least three or four people from our church to this trip that you would send, that you would go and you would be blessed, that you would learn and be educated, and then you would come back and be a blessing to us. That you're not just, I'm not just encouraging you go just for fun, but that you go with the intent to learn, to come back, and to energize this congregation. So please prayerfully consider going in light of the sermon. But I understand whether you attend the conference or not, uh, what does stand is the invitation for all of us to learn about the local church and learn about global missions. And as we do so, I pray that we all become learners and we all become advocates and then we all become participants in God's global mission. Pray with me. Father, we thank you that you are doing a work in this world, a work that we are often ignorant of, a work that we often do not see. But Father, we want our eyes to be opened so that we may know that your Holy Spirit is at work and that the harvest is plentiful. And I pray, God, that we would understand what you've commanded us to do, to pray earnestly. Father, I confess the many ways in which my prayer for our missionaries and prayer for the mission work has been uh, lacking. But I pray, God, that I would not be plagued by guilt, but inspired and moved to gratitude as I understand how I have received the great mission work of Christ. And I pray that as my friends and us and I understand how the gospel is working, that it would begin to transform our hearts and therefore transform this church to understand our place in the task of missions in this world. 
In Jesus' name we pray.